Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. You know, uh, it's the top of the week, which means it's time for strange news, but it is also Valentine's Day here in the United States. I think it was... I want to say brain stuff years ago. I I did some deep dive into the history of Valentine's Day that that may be incorrect, but um, just quick advice before we get to, uh, to the strange news today. Folks, if you have a loved one who tells you that they don't want anything for this holiday and that it's fraudulent and it's just making money for Hallmark, just get them something like a little thing. Just play it safe. You know what I mean? Because the FOMO is real. Uh, and then also do something when it's not Valentine's Day. What do you guys think about that? You know what I, I mean? Think, I think the sentiment that it's the thought that counts uh, can be very powerful. I think that's absolutely true. Just thinking of somebody and doing a little extra something uh, can go a long way. Yeah, mm-hmm. in my experience, it's uh, if you spend your time on someone it speaks much louder than the price that you pay for whatever that thing is. True. Well said. Time is the only uh, real currency, I would argue. It's the, it's the one thing people aren't making more of these days, right? So uh, with that, we do have uh, just a little weird story at the very end uh, in honor of Valentine's Day, in honor of. Uh, anyway, uh, before we get to that, we are traveling across the world today, fellow conspiracy realists. We're going to uh, East Asia. We're going to the border of Mexico and the U.S. We're also going to the Hermit Kingdom. We're going to talk about the scary future of robots. We're going to talk about the scary future of state censorship, but maybe with a little bit of inspiration. And we're going to talk about the House of Cards, which is known as the Internet and can fall much more easily than most people would like to believe. But let's 
Let's go to, uh, maybe let's go to China first. And Noel, you have a story that I think we were all keeping eyes on here. It's something that leads us, I, I think it's inspirational, but it also leads to a much larger conversation, as you pointed out off air. Yeah, it certainly uh, has the potential to be a positive, but it also raises a lot of questions about how deep uh, government censorship can and does go, especially in China or places where the government, you know, literally controls the media. Uh, we recently did a story. I can't remember if it was Strange News or Listener Mail, but it was about the company Tencent, which mm-hmm. is a massive, massive monolith in China in terms of video games, um, specifically mobile video games, and also. As a surprise to me, I didn't quite realize this. Uh, it's one of the largest, if not the largest, video streaming companies uh, in China. And uh, the movie Fight Club um, is one of the titles that Tencent owns the copyright for in China for for streaming. So even other streaming services that exist, uh, Fight Club is not on those. It is only on Tencent. And oftentimes we know that when films get released in China in order to make sure that they can make money off of the uh, many millions of humans in that country, uh, sometimes the studios tend to be okay with certain types of censorship versions of of films. For example, there was a version of the movie, uh, I believe it's called Lord of War. Is that right, Nick Matt? Cage? Mm-hmm. Nick Cage, where he yes. plays like an arms dealer type Ooh. dude. I actually haven't seen the movie, but apparently in the uh, American version, mild spoilers for older movies here in this segment, by the way. Uh, so um, in the ending of the American version of Lord of War, uh, Nicolas Cage's character gets away scot-free. After presumably wreaking all kinds of havoc, you know, through the arms trade. Uh, but in the Chinese version, um, there is a I don't know exactly how they accomplished it, probably just with like a subtitle that flashes across the screen. Um, but it says that he is sentenced to life in prison uh, and he does not get away with it. Um, that is the case for what we're talking about today, the movie Fight Club. So, again, spoilers for a movie from 1999. If you have not seen Fight Club, maybe skip this one. If you have uh, and you remember really loving it when you were younger, um, as I did, I think as many of us did, 1999 was a big year for movies. Um, doesn't quite hold up quite as well as you might think. There's a lot of real toxic masculinity and machismo, and there's some things in it that certainly did not age well. Read the but book. In, well, yeah, read the book, absolutely. Of, and, and, it's arguably kind of the point is to show those things. Right. Yeah. It is arguably right. kind of the point, but you could also argue that the film version goes pretty far to glorify some of those things, while the book version, to Ben's point, I think makes the satire of it all a little clearer. The book, uh, of course, by uh, Chuck Palahniuk, um, who's got, got a lot of really fun reads um, if you're into kind of mind-bending you know, uh, fiction. But the ending of the film version of Fight Club has uh, Edward Norton's character kind of squaring off against his, spoiler coming, imaginary friend, uh, imaginary enemy friend, frenemy, um, played by Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, who you don't realize isn't real until somewhere in the third act, I believe, of the film. Um, He is an anarchist kind of character who is laying all these plans to plunge the world or the country into kind of a new dark ages, you know, to sort of do a reset um, with erasing all debt, erasing, you know, financial gains of corporations, essentially bringing down the economy, the uh, the global capitalist system is sort of like what he's fighting against uh, throughout the movie. And at the end of of the film directed by David Fincher, we see uh, the character played by Edward Norton essentially killing off the part of his brain. It's a little dubious. He he shoots himself in the head, I think, but only partially and, and just so that he eliminates the part of his brain that Tyler Durden exists in. I think that's the implication. Am I remembering that correctly, guys? Yeah, Chuck Palahniuk, not a, uh, not a brain surgeon. Not a brain surgeon. I don't think you can do brain surgery with a close point blank shot to the head. Well, check out Phineas Gage. People win the lottery of that high impact stuff. But that's I mean, but that's not that's an interesting story. Right. Uh, But you're making a great point. And that's that's not quite uh, that's obviously not quite how it works out in China, because Tencent was asked to obey the government's guidelines right for censorship for no go areas and and you mentioned something really interesting here Noel they uh, they did get closer to the book but from what i understand 
they kind of phoned it in, you know, like it's it's a bunch of title cards and text, right? It's it's title cards and text. And, and I was getting to the part that happens next, which is the, the last scene in the American version where after eliminating this uh, anarchist alter ego, you know, imaginary friend, alternate personality, um, Marla Singer, who is the love interest of the movie played by Elena Bonham Carter and Edward Norton's character, who I think doesn't even have a name, uh, if I'm not mistaken, narrator. throughout the whole movie. They just call it, Yeah, he's just narrator. Um, they hold hands in this abandoned office building and watch all of these buildings in the distance explode, uh, presumably kicking off, you know, Tyler Durden's master plan of bringing down, you know, the global economy. Um, that's not how it goes in the Tencent version. In the Tencent version, I haven't seen it, but I, I guess they cut away or they cut to black before that happens. Uh, I think they even eliminate the whole part about him killing Tyler Durden. Uh, they may even eliminate the twist that he isn't real because the, the title card reads uh, interestingly as follows. Quote, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding. After the trial... Tyler, after the trial. Yeah, so they're treating him like a real person. After the trial, Tyler was sent to a lunatic asylum, receiving psychological treatment and roll credits. Uh, he was he was discharged from the hospital in 2012, it says. Mm -hmm. hmm. I didn't see that. Okay, great. Good to know. <laughs> so he's, he's okay. He's mm -hmm. okay. Um, which is interesting because this, this actually calls back to another famous adaptation um, from, from novel to film, Clockwork Orange. Where in the book version, the main character, Alex, uh, after being, you know, psychologically put through the ringer to, quote, cure him of his psychopathic kind of urges, he is, in fact, healed or, you know, saved or whatever you want to call it, um, mm -hmm. made normal, I guess. And that there's a whole nother chapter in the book version of Clockwork Orange where he kind of runs into his old like droogs, his old mates or whatever. Mm -hmm. And sort of sadly observes them from a distance while also making it clear that he doesn't share their kind of bloodlust anymore. But in the movie version, he is cured from being cured, or at least that's the implication. Right. Um, in the book version of Fight Club, that's what happens with uh, Edward Norton's character, essentially. Oh, no. Quick note on Clockwork Orange. It's the um, the censorship occurs before the film. It's the American book that had the final chapter removed the uk right. book has the has the whole chapter but yeah but it was i was less referring the to US. the censorship of the book than just the difference between the book and the movie because the movie version like essentially operates under you know that last chapter not being a thing so i don't know right. if that was a creative choice uh, i think it was more of a creative yeah. choice by stanley kubrick as as clearly was this you know by uh by uh, david fincher to, to go with that more nihilistic ending. So all is well at the end of the, uh, the Chinese uh, Tencent censored version of Fight Club. But apparently news of this and these cuts kind of spread pretty quickly. And there was a lot of debate and memeing, you know, and kind of poking fun at the Chinese uh, government's degree of censorship here. And it made so much noise that the Chinese government, the censors, uh, quietly put it back the way it was originally um, with, you know, the, the buildings collapsing and with, you know, uh, Edward Norton killing off Tyler Durden's character. And again, like I was saying, the, the interesting part is the way that Chuck Palahniuk's book ends is much more in line with that title card uh, and also much more in line with the way that Clockwork Orange ends. And it's, you know, it, it's not unheard of for China to reverse these kinds of choices, but we were talking off air and, and there were a lot of questions like, was there some real, you know, motivation for them to do this outside of just like the public backlash? And, and I, I'm, I'm pretty certain the answer is no. Um, that they were just kind of embarrassed and it went so viral that they just quietly decided to put the uh, the few minutes that they had cut back in. Um, actually, they had cut 12 minutes. Um, so that that would probably include the part that explained the twist. And, you know, the part there's a whole you know sequence at the end before the buildings explode where um, Edward Norton shoots himself. Uh, so there are still some cuts, um, that exist in the Tencent version, removing some nudity in a sex scene, uh, between Brad Pitt and Helena Bonham Carter's characters. Um, Tencent did not respond to the Hollywood reporter for a comment on this, which 
tracks. Um, but it is on the surface, maybe seemingly a little innocuous, the whole thing in the cut. Um, but it really does change the whole meaning of the movie. I mean, everyone, I think, remembers from that movie, that twist. And that's probably the part that made it make such a you know indelible impression on so many of our young 1999 minds. That goes into um, my theory, man. I mean, I'll hold. I'll hold till the no, end. No, no, please, I, please. Because I brought this up, up earlier. So, so, okay, here's what I think has happened. And I have the list of the censorship um, tripwires, you could call them, for media in China. And, and U.S. studios are actually hiring Chinese nationals to be experts on censorship to make sure things can get the green light because it's such a big market. But Fight Club comes out, like you pointed out, in 1999 as a film adaptation of a book. The book is uh, much easier to get in China and people have traveled. There have been, you know, uh, there's been what, like uh, more than 20 years opportunity for people to get knowledge of this film and the story. So the story, the way it's supposed to be, is already pretty well known, I think, to two people in China. Uh, the danger is, like, if if it came out today, if it was a 2022 film, then people living in the country would be less likely to know what was supposed to happen. So the censorship here is kind of pointless, right? And I think that's part of the, the mockery, right, is because everybody not everybody, but it's common knowledge, that amazing twist or that, you know, beautiful just so twist that you're talking about. I think it's much more difficult to try to control that information. It's like saying we're going to show Citizen Kane, but nobody mentioned Rosebud. People right. know, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. It definitely is a zeitgeisty type thing. You know, that was also like kind of the era of like big giant twists, you know, with M. Night Shyamalan and all that. That was sort of his heyday. I believe Sixth Sense maybe came out in 1999 as well. It's or Bruce maybe it Willis was, the whole time. It's right. Hey, well, it's so, so, I think we're I think we're past the statute of limitations for all of these spoilers, but um, did my best to try to give some spoiler alerts on this segment. Um, but this is, you know, th this is absolutely one of the least, and you're right. It is silly. It's silly because that it's, it's a movie that's been out for a very long time. Um, news of that twist ending will have traveled. And, uh, again, the movie was, has been available in the uncensored format, I believe, you know, probably if, if not in bootleg versions in officially sanctioned versions for, for many, many years there. Um, but here, here's the thing, 20th century Fox um, obviously a massive studio here. They uh, put out the film Bohemian Rhapsody, which won tons of Oscars in 2018. Um, it was given a theatrical release in China, but the censors required them to remove any mention of Freddie Mercury being gay. And that's a big deal. That's a real problem. Uh, I mean, you know, you, the studios obviously want to make money and capitalize on all those humans we talked about in China. And they did. They made $14 million on the movie. But a lot of human rights groups were pretty PO'd at Fox for letting Beijing uh, insist on those kind of cuts, which you would refer to as straight washing. Um, also, Hollywood Reporter piece that I mentioned that kind of uh, got the scoop on the story um, by Patrick Bresky pointed out that um, the Friends reunion, <laughs> the much lauded Friends reunion that Warner Media put out, um, was allowed to be released in China as long as it removed a single, very small cameo by Lady Gaga. Um, and the reason for that is she is apparently absolutely, you know, canceled in China because she met with the Dalai Lama briefly once in 2016. So like all of these ideological things are super troubling. And I think the fight club, you know, uh, situation just kind of points to like maybe a more innocuous version, but there are much more insidious versions of this kind of censorship that do go on. It's weird to think that right now that this type of almost passive thought control is it still plays like it's still happening right now. It's happening in China. Yes. Because of the regime, because of the control, the control structures that they have on most of their populace, their, their attempt to control the things that people can hear and see and think. And, but make no mistake that that's happening across the board, everybody. And whether you're, you know, whether or not a government is, a, you know, attempting to do it in this particular way, 
just the information that we have access to is in some subtle ways controlled. The websites oh, we're yeah, they're allowed to go books. to. Mm-hmm. Think about that right now. That's goes back to the Palinek things. It's weird to see a version of it that, that is so obvious, as you said, Ben, because of the amount of time that's passed since that idea has existed. Like attempting to control it now doesn't make sense. But controlling the ideas coming out of the pipeline are much this much more easily diverted as it's first escaping. I've got some great research on this, guys. If you're into it, I think it's an episode. Uh, Absolutely. In China. Well, and it's also like, I mean, because they control the internet as well, it's harder. I don't, you know, you got to wonder with what level of precision they can filter out information. Maybe you can answer that, Ben. It seems like it would be difficult, but maybe not as difficult as I might think. Like it could be that, that there are keywords that are flagged or something and that are literally filtered out. So people could even do their own homework and figure out if a, a, a censorship issue is causing them to miss something that, you know, they, they would have very little recourse to find out either way. I mean, is it, can maybe this is something to hold on for the episode, but what level of uh, censorship, you know, what level of precision in censorship of the internet is possible? It's a question that is the subject of a lot of speculation because as you can imagine, the people who are capable of censoring things uh, don't want to reveal the level of surveillance uh, that they are capable of implementing. You know what I mean? It is a, it is by purpose a bit of a black box, but let's crack it open. Stay tuned, everybody. Let's crack it open and let's see if China censors the end of that episode. How cool would that be? Uh, because it is completely possible to deep fake people's voices now. Speaking of which, I just want to point something out that I, th- I saw recently that was super cool. I think largely when we see like de-aging technology and things in movies, it oftentimes is a little bit of a laughable moment. Like even in The Irishman, which is, you know, a very, very expensive movie. The thing that took me out of that the most was all the de-aging stuff with uh, Joe Pesci and, and, and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Uh, it's still, it's still a great movie, but that stuff always really bugged me. But I watched uh, the most, the next, the next to most recent episode of the righteous gemstones on HBO. And there is a flashback episode that uses what, in my opinion, is some of the best, least uncanny Valley, least noticeable de-aging effects on John Goodman that I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was totally com- convinced and I just thought it was absolutely spectacular. So that technology is just getting better and better and better. Uh, and it can be used, you know, to make movie magic or it can be used to make people say things they didn't really say. So keep an eye on that stuff. And with that, let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with more strange news. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing 
reinventing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And we've returned. Before we jump into this story, guys... Do you remember a little while ago, couldn't tell you exactly how many months, we had a discussion about our four-legged friends and their robotic versions, and this one little little company that decided it would be a fun move to throw a sniper rifle on top of one of those robot dogs? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, uh, we're going to talk about them. Again today, and a wider initiative by the United States government. <laughs> and the name of that company, by the way, is Ghost Robotics. Ghost Robotics. Um, specializing in robot dogs. Okay, whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> our story comes to us from our friends at The Guardian, and then also via the official website of the Science and Technology Directorate, the Research and Development Advisor to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Oh, there's acronyms in this episode, you guys. All right, so Ah, let's jump. Yes, (laughs) let's jump to The Guardian. (laughs) U.S. tests of robotic patrol dogs on Mexican border prompt outcry. Of course they do. Why would they not? Of course they prompt an outcry. Come on. (laughs) All right. Uh, I'm not even going to read too much from this article from The Guardian, but you can read that. I'm giving you the title. It was posted on February 4th, written by Oliver Holmes. Uh, You can read the short post. It is a very short post there. But it is just letting you know that in El Paso, Texas, there are tests being done by the very same robotic dogs that Ghost Robotics has been developing. They're small, quadrupedal, look like dogs. They weigh about 100 pounds. Or 45 kilograms, uh, that's at least according to the Guardian article. Um, If you jump to the Science and Technology Directorate over at dhs.gov, they say they weigh about 100 pounds. Um, But that does not include payload, because these things can be, they can have all kinds of different payloads. The ones that are important for this story are the uh, camera payloads, stuff that's basically going to be used for surveillance. Not so much the projectiles. <laughs> the, those are <Yet>. coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, you can read all about this. I'll just give you a little bit of info. Let's see. Um, the goal of the program, according to DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, is to leverage technology to force multiply the CBP presence, which is U.S. Customs and Border Protection presence, as well as reduce human exposure to life-threatening hazards. And what do they call life-threatening hazards? All kinds of things, like the heat that's out there by the U.S.-Mexican border, uh, the natural things that they could come encounter with, like dehydration because of the heat, the dangers of, let's say, a threatening human presence for because of drug trafficking or human trafficking 
that's uh, activities that are going on and there may be a threat to human lives if there are border patrol agents there. Um, they're basically saying that these dogs will be able to get through any heat, any weather, any problems like that. Since they are not human, you're not putting human lives in danger with their presence. Um, they're basically saying all around, this is a great idea. We should do this. And Ghost Robotics has been working on this with the Science and Technology Directorate for over two years. Uh, about two and a half years, they've been working on specifications, development, and capability testing. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, you guys. Uh, another another acronym you need to know is, what is it? AGSV, which stands for Automated Ground Surveillance Vehicles. It's uh, a weird way to think about a robo-dog. Well, so in this in this case, though, I mean, they're, the idea, right, the defense of this idea is that they're just deploying a much more mobile platform for cameras. And cameras already exist at certain points across the border. I think what you and I are incredibly cynical and concerned about is just how long it takes before, uh, as you said, projectiles start becoming part of the payload, right? Yeah, and these these things are being used in conjunction with human forces, human counterparts, right? Uh, if you imagine it in your mind, imagine several Border Patrol agents with something like ATVs, right? Like an all-terrain vehicle, those four-wheelers. Imagine them on those with a couple of these <laughs> robo-dogs hanging around in tow or maybe going out a little bit further, uh, where it's maybe the train's a little more difficult for the ATV to get through. So you let the dog go for a while. Uh, that's what's happening right now. That's what, how, that's how the tests are being carried out. Yes, you're right, Ben. The future is what's terrifying to me. Uh, the point where humans are no longer needed at the border, you've got these, not these robo dogs, but let's say five versions from now or something like that, where they're quite a bit larger they're uh, quite a bit more dangerous when it comes to what, like the type of weapon they could actually deploy if they do encounter any kind of resistance and the, you know, the rules that are basically put in place with these, you know, machines that are patrolling the border, deciding who comes, who goes, what's legal, what's not. And uh, the AI, what is the AI prosecutor system that allows them to be judged dread or not? <laughs> Oh God! And when do they? When do they get? Um, when are they considered? Like, uh, first off, right? The the next step for this technology is always going to be networking, right? Mm -hmm. Hive minding it. So, what happens when that thing uh, does? Will that ever come uh, before a court uh, in terms of like being granted legal personhood or sentience? Does the ability to decide to injure or kill a human being mean that the thing do it, making that decision is therefore sentient? If is is it aware of its actions? So I've been reading a lot of sci-fi recently. I was just trying to escape these different like uh, psychological studies and history books I'm reading for something else. Uh, and I, I just got to recommend a great conversation about this related to this concept is a book called Bearhead by uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky, one of my new, uh, one of my new favorite uh, sci-fi writers, British dude. But Matt, these questions become increasingly less academic and increasingly more practical and immediate pretty soon. I mean, also what happens when someone hacks that thing, right? People, can you imagine people are trying to get over the border? It's probably not going to be innocent civilians. It would be a cartel. Why wouldn't a cartel capture this and then try to get into the network of these? Uh, what was our what was our acronym for these guys? Uh, for the Dogs. vehicles, AGSV, <laughs> Automated Ground AGSV. Surveillance Vehicles. They could like AGS. Dog. Yeah. They could have put dogs in there. They could have had some fun with it. But I mean, well, I mean, it's, you know, I was hearing some stats about like the current administration's progress or whatever. And one of them was, I believe, that drone strikes are down, uh, which, you know, depending on who you are, probably could be seen as a positive thing. But we know about drone strikes. I think for the most part, there's some automation that's involved, but there are drone operators, you know, that are using human intuition and human problem solving skills and the ability to kind of, you know, change given conditions it doesn't always work. But um, at least there's some of that uh, with these things. With these guys that we're talking about, this would be like purely AI. 
and programmed with like a set of, you know, parameters, I guess. And I think there's a lot of uh, human situations that exist outside of programmable parameters, as we've seen with um, self-driving cars and things like that. So this, that, that certainly full automation of anything that involves killing humans uh, always kind of strikes me as a bad idea. Well, yeah, but he, here's the counter argument to the human element during uh, border patrol situations in another guardian article titled us border agents engaged in quote, shocking abuses against asylum seekers report finds. This was posted October 21st, 2021 last year written by Ed Pilkington. And it just really, it goes over several instances, numerous instances where the human element was a very negative thing. And it's just because there are, there are good and bad actors in all things. Right. right. Um, And you're, you're totally right. I'm not saying a robot dog is going to do a better job necessarily. I think you probably lessen the possibility that there may be some, you know, sexual abuse going on in an interaction, but it's, it's just a whole different thing that needs to be discussed. Really thought about. Agreed. And in a counter to that counter, let's see how far we can matroshka this. A counter to a counter to that counter is that a tool is ultimately the reflection of the intentions and the aims of the person who built the tool or the mind that created it. Right. And that's a huge problem in AI ethics right now. That's part of why facial recognition is so bleep me here, doc. And, and probably will be for quite some time. So if there is an imperfect creator, uh, the the technology itself will carry those imperfections or has a very high likelihood too. I mean, um, of course, that I, I'm saying this not to dismiss that argument because yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it is a very valid argument, but it's kind of like how anytime you see someone in disguise, you're really seeing an autobiography of the person wearing the disguise. So I, I would, I would say, you know, in like the choices they make. So I would say in this case, not, not to wax too poetic, but I would, I would say in this case, there would need to be a really hard look at facial recognition, a really hard look about at how humans are interacting with this, where the uh, protocols and algorithms are coming from. And uh, I would I would be concerned. Oh, in a bit of good news, though, uh, Matt, Noel, the IRS recently withdrew their uh, their plans to impose facial recognition on taxpayers. Largely, I think, probably due to just the backlash that came from, you know, public outcry, um, similar to maybe why the Chinese government uh, added back that scene to Fight Club. Um, didn't necessarily require a court case. Sometimes the optics of something are just so bad uh, and such a clearly bad idea that, the, the you know, the government uh, entity will, quote unquote, do the right thing. Will that happen here, Matt, you think? With the, uh, I mean, overall, like you can see some advantages. These these uh, robots may also be able to locate injured people or dehydrated people mm-hmm. and bring them aid, I guess. I feel like that's being a little Pollyanna about it, but it's the, possible. Yeah. Well, right now, I don't think they would be bringing anyone aid necessarily just due to the – again, it's the payload problem. Like you add one bottle of water to the thing and you're going to destabilize it to a certain extent and then you're going to make it – you know, the battery is going to use more energy per – minute per second or whatever. Um, What they can do is alert a human operator that's somewhere, you know, fairly close by, I don't know, within a 20 minute car ride or something, most likely because these things don't have a crazy long battery life, um, at least in this, the iteration that they're in right now. So yeah, they could just alert simply by having cameras. I can I propose an idea. What if we had robot dogs that had like those barrels around their necks, yeah. like St. Bernard's that <laughs> are like, going, going to rescue yeah. people from yeah. the, the, the frozen tundra and they can just, you know, give them a little, little, little sip of whiskey to, to revive them. Problem that would is be whiskey amazing. water is so heavy, you know, like that would be amazing. Uh, that'd be so great. If we, you know, if it was a nice thing, like, Hey, you guys are probably hot out here, man. Here's some, here's some hydration. Uh, <laughs> there would just be a stun gun attached to a thing as well. Uh, yeah. Come get some hydration. <laughs> it would be unprecedented in the history of humanity for these creatures to actually help vulnerable people or robots. I guess I shouldn't say creatures. <laughs> hmm. 
If you want to see a really scary dystopian view of what can happen with these things, there's an episode of um, uh, Black Mirror. I think it's called like Metalhead or something like that, but it's uh, black and white, super stark, beautifully photographed, but it's about one of these very things, this kind of type of drone dog uh, creations that clearly goes rogue and is just a, a Terminator type killing machine. Science fiction, I, I don't know if I said this on air, but I'm convinced now, science fiction is a genre with an expiration date because the really good stuff ends up being factual eventually, uh, which is why Uncle Sam pays science fiction authors to figure out stuff like how to keep people away from nukes and blah, blah, blah. But they're not listening to the valid and very well thought out concerns of ethicists in the field of AI. That being said, If I had a chance to hang out with a very intelligent robot dog and it was like my Fido or whatever, I totally would do it. I mean, would you do it, Matt? Noel, would you hang out with a robo dog if it was like your robo dog? A hundred percent. It's a little weird. Definitely. I'd hang out. I guess. Do I want that? I don't think I want that. I want an an animal that I can, you know. Uh, scratch under the under the ear and 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 uh, and give a treat to you know uh, I don't know I'm, call call me old fashioned. Well, look, just we'll, while we're still talking about sci-fi uh, thinkers, take it take everybody to Horizon Zero Dawn. It's mm-hmm. right now. It's a classic mm-hmm. game for PlayStation, uh, but the new one is yeah. coming out very soon. And in that version <laughs> of the future, which is where we're headed, everybody. Uh, I I would just say I would recommend that piece of, of fictional <laughs> science of science fictional work. I actually never finished that game. It got too tricky. But I need to revisit it. It's super cool. It's messed up. All right, and with that, hey, we're gonna take a break. We will be back with more robot overlord stuff imminently in the future, but not today. We'll be right back with more strange news. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And we have returned. Sometimes when I'm presenting last, it feels like that uh, the trope of the uninvited guest who shows up at the, you know, at the the prince or princess's birthday party and says, I have a gift. Uh, so here we... Like a Maleficent style kind uh, of situation? Maleficent by far the best character in the entirety of that story, yes. Uh, uh, so, so I have a gift, says a hacker to uh, the Hermit Kingdom, to the DPRK, to North Korea. Uh, Longtime listeners, you know that I I study this area of the world extensively uh, for various reasons. And you've probably heard this being reported in the news. The headline is, the headline is, one guy gets mad at North Korea. So while he's in his PJs, he shuts down their internet. You can see this in Wired, New York Times, a couple of different places. I'm just saying that to establish the story is legit. This is something that really happened. Uh, but let's let's break it down. Let's get past the headlines because that's that's what we're here for. Our protagonist in today's story is a fellow named P4X, capital P, number four, lowercase X. And P4X is, according to Western media, an independent hacker. We'll get back to that in a second. But this individual is being portrayed as an independent hacker who was a victim of a wide-scale dragnet campaign that, that targeted Western security researchers. It was from North Korea. There was social engineering in this, uh, which is, you know, just manipulating the foibles of human psychology. But then there was also some smart programming that goes on. P4X is caught up in this. And P4X is able to uh, prevent these hackers from swiping anything of value from their machine. The aim of the original hack is to steal researchers' hacking tools and to steal details about software vulnerabilities. You know, uh, like you'll hear them refer to as exploits, things like that. They want to figure out where the leaks are, where the chinks in the armor are before- Backdoors and such. Right, before there is a patch that is released, rendering that information useless. So this is something that it makes sense for a state to do. Uh, There are no heroes in international politics. There are just levels of what kind of bad one will accept. So this person, let's just call P4X a dude. We've never met this person, but just for the sake of the story. So P4X is still pissed, though. It's like, imagine you caught someone trying to steal your car. They didn't get away with the car, but you found them in the driver's seat. You're mad about it. You know what I mean? It changes the way you feel about your car uh, and the parking lot and and people in general. So P4X is like a a calendar year is passing. And this guy is just, I imagine it's such that like uh, at lulls in the afternoon when he's not really thinking of anything, he thinks, those bastards, those bastards came into my house. And uh, so so he decided after this built up, this well of resentment sort of percolated and reached a boiling point. He said, I'm going to do something. You know what? I'm going to do something because uh, I, I don't see the West doing anything, which honestly, P4X, you probably wouldn't because that's not publicly announced stuff. But anyway, P4X feels like nothing is happening. So set, uh, P4X says, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to go vigilante. There's no response from Uncle Sam. So I am going to take these folks down. And in interviews, he, he spoke with Wired about this. Uh, in interviews, P4X said, it felt like the right thing to do here. If they, meaning North Korea, don't see that we have teeth, meaning the U.S., it's just going to keep coming. And so he went to work. He found a bunch of um, vulnerabilities in North Korean systems that were already known 
that allowed him to launch uh, DDoS attacks, distributed denial of service attacks. And you're familiar with this. You know, it's there. there's debate, right, whether this should be considered proper hacking. You know what I mean? Like high-level hacking or whether it's just sort of something anyone can do with the right gumption and and check it out a few online forums. It's it's kind of a, considered a simple attack. And you might also assume, correctly, folks, that North Korea doesn't have the most robust internet infrastructure. It's easy to get the headline that says one person shut the country down because there's not a lot out there to shut down. There aren't a ton of, you know, servers, routers, uh, inter, uh, like interconnected networks. Uh, right now, P4X has decided that, it, that he's not going to publicly reveal the vulnerabilities because he says doing so would help the government of North Korea, the regime, uh, harden its defenses against future attacks. Uh, but he did uh, he did privately disclose a couple things, and then he told journalists just one or two examples to show his bona fides, to show that he he was about that life, as they would say, and he did actually do some things. But here, I I want to stop and ask you guys. So this is vigilante work, right? If the official story is true, what do you think? Do you sympathize with him? I think that car example kind of primed us all to be on his side. I think so. I feel primed. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it's interesting. I, I'm reading through this Wired article that you shared with us, Ben, and it feels as though, just from what I understand, that the actions P4X took against you know North Korea's North Korea as a whole, right, their internet infrastructure, did do something, but it's not as though he's... I don't know, getting back at the people that probably broke into his car, if that makes sense. <laughs> right, uh, right. It's like he's in, I don't know, it's it's a weird, I don't know how I would continue that metaphor, like watching somebody break into your car, but you know they they almost did, but then they got out and nobody punished them. But he's not really punishing them, necessarily. I, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting distinction. I, I, I guess I should clarify to uh, just, to get in front of the emails we might receive. So P4X, I, I said he was doing a DDoS. That's not exactly true. What he did is he hacked into several like mission critical devices and was exploiting them, is exploiting them as we record now to cause a denial of service. This is not affecting the vast majority of people in North Korea who believe they are online because North Korea has its own uh, its own disconnected kind of intranet. And if you are online in the DPRK, you are overwhelmingly likely to be on that very heavily curated, very heavily surveilled intranet. The people who are using what we would consider the World Wide Web we being the rest of the world, those folks are high level officials. You know what I mean? And they are using it as a mark of privilege or they're using it for espionage. Those are the people getting affected. You know what I mean? Not the people who are at the equivalent of an internet cafe. So I think it's it's important when we, when we talk about the internet, there are really kind of two internets in DPRK. This appears to be largely automated at this point. Like the guy himself is not popping in and, and, you know, manually typing out, shut down the server every day at 8.30. He has made it such that programming is doing the work for him. I saw some great debates here about whether or not this is a good thing. It's a cool story, but at, at what cost do we get this cool story? Because state intelligence agencies, I mean, nation state intelligence agencies doubtlessly already knew about these vulnerabilities. And if they weren't messing with them, it probably gave them a window into the inner workings of the, of the North Korean government. So by doing this, because this guy was so mad about his car, and rightly so, uh, the argument is that he has in fact um he's in fact curtailed 
surveillance activities by other countries. Because now the DPRK is going to know that they had a window in their house unlocked, right? That's kind of what happened. He snuck in. He snuck in and then he snuck out and he's still sneaking in and sneaking out. So eventually they'll, the, the reasoning is they'll find the window. And all the other people who are just sneaking in, not to vandalize the house, just sneaking in to like read the mail are rightly saying in a private sphere, probably like, dang, man, we had a good thing going. Why did you, why, why did you do that? There's a quote from Dave Itell, I think is how you say it. A-I-T-E-L. Former NSA hacker is how they describe him in this Wired article. Um, but they were just saying that exact sentiment. He's saying there's probably stuff on those machines already that this dude disrupted, essentially. He disrupted the machines themselves through the software and uh, basically let them know, like you said, Ben, exactly what you said. A window's open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this this is fascinating because the larger conversation I think takes us to the idea of information warfare changing. The democratization of information means that now it is incre- it is entirely possible for a single individual to pack a real punch, like the kind of punch only a state actor could have done in the past. Like now one person can conceivably go to war against the country, at least in the digital sphere. What a time to be alive. Uh, If that is, P4X was indeed acting on their own. And of course, there's a lot of scuttlebutt about that as well, because it just, it sounds crazy to know that we are alive in a world where one person can take down a country's, yeah, can take down a country's internet in a world, isolated, a hermit kingdom. It's funny. All this talk about opening and closing windows just made me think of the concept of the Overton window, which Mm -hmm. I had to look up, make sure I was thinking of the right concept. But it's this idea of like the range of policies politically that are acceptable to any, you know, mainstream human at any given Mm -hmm. time. I think Mm -hmm. that applies the Overton window closing. Yeah, the Overton window is uh, tremendously important. It's not talked about often enough in Western media. I brought it up before. Miles Gray over Daily Zeitgeist is a great person to talk about this too. Uh, The Overton window in the U.S. is dramatically skewed. That's why you won't hear you won't hear politicians talking about things that the majority of the U.S. public, regardless of party identification, wants. It's because the the Overton window of mass media has shifted into what the advertisers will allow. It's true. It's true. I'm just saying you look at you look at control of media like in China or North Korea and you see that there it's not really a house where it's safe to throw stones. The U.S. is uh, several uh, state level governments in the U.S. are totally down with burning books. That is that say I can't believe uh, we've circled around to where saying you shouldn't burn books is another hot take. We're back in hot take territory with that. Burning books is definitely the hottest of takes. <sighs> so this uh, this leads us to a couple different things. We want to hear now. We know we've got some white hats and maybe even some black hats in the audience today. Uh, would love to hear what you think of the story regarding uh, this David and Goliath uh, digital escapade there in the hermit kingdom in dprk uh and we'd love to hear what you think about the future of automated surveillance along a border is uh please stay tuned for the episode we have coming up regarding the nuts and bolts of censorship in china but we did want to end on one nice thing because it is indeed uh, valentine's day here in the u.s interesting story about its evolution but that's uh that's something for a different show. Have you ever been, you guys know Build-A-Bear. Most people in the U.S. know Build-A-Bear. Uh, it's, how, how would you describe Build-A-Bear? Matt, I think, I think both of you guys probably took your kids there at some point, right? I've built bears mm-hmm. uh, in the past. Well, it's sort of like a, I don't know, it's a fancy stuffed animal that you sort of get to build to your child specifications to a degree within um, a an available set of parameters, whether it's, you know, you get the floppy skin of the thing and then you get to stuff it in this magical stuffing machine um, and you get to decide whether you want it firm or, or softer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you can put 
things inside of it, like a, yep, like a yep, heart. Yep. Or actually, they all they all come with a heart. You can get a beating heart, or even like one that you can record a message on. Some of them have scents, things like that. Yeah, hardness, firmness, what you want to put inside it. It's basically cyberpunk. You know, it's their their character generator, but in real life. Okay, okay. And with so it's like a, a sleep sleep number mattress that is also cyberpunk. That is also a bear. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. So, have you, like many people in a Build a Bear workshop or store, you walking around and saying, "Man, I wish these bears were hornier." That's the question that Build a Bear is attempting to answer today. In honor of Valentine's Day, they recently uh, they recently had a social media coup on Facebook where they introduced the idea of, and we're not kidding here, folks. Build a Bear. After dark, build a bear after dark. It's a very quiet storm. Uh, definitely puts uh, the hardness and firmness of the thing in a different light, doesn't it? Yeah, this is it wasn't enough for us to do a, a whole story, but we're all looking for levity in a frightening and challenging world. And I'll go ahead and put the link here in our chat so you guys can see what the actual build a bear after dark looks like. Uh, they they're not. They're not bad. They're just being called stuffed animals for adults. And the advertising is a little salacious, you could say. But if you look at the pictures, it's it's not super controversial. The, some of the stuffed animals are holding wine, basically. And you obviously, you wouldn't want a kid having a boozy bear. Yeah. The, is it really called <laughs> After Dark? Yes. yes. Uh, the problem is, wow. if you go to the actual Build-A-Bear website and you search around and you try to find anything about any of this... There's nothing even close to anything salacious. It's it's literally, as you said, Ben, bears with some wine with shirts that say, like, I want to I want to go on a date with you or I want to take you <laughs> I out. I want to have a monogamous relationship <laughs> with you or W.A.P. Right. So I want to have one <laughs> glass of wine after dinner with you. Right. Exactly. Did some so, of them say W.A.P.? I did not see that. No, no. That's you have to make your own shirt there. Uh, there's probably some licensing fees, but but I bring this up just because I first I, I think we all we all thought it was funny. It was a good chuckle. But secondly, it goes into that weird conversation. I'm still not sure how to make this an episode about the um, desires and values that people tend to put on these non-human characters or ideas like we were talking off air i still find that tucker carlson comment about the green m&m hilarious because he said like woke culture is making this m&m less sexy and it's like whoa tc no judgment but you're saying you thought the m&m was sexy huh i mean live your life but i I think he told on himself a little I, i don't know man you know we everybody has their own opinions about these like marketed holidays and i personally resent the idea of people who have no power over me attempting to obligate me to do stuff but if you love someone you get them something nice you get them get them a build a bear after dark (laughs) i just it's the whole after dark thing that's throwing me because that just immediately the mind goes to like you know, Cinemax, Skinemax, like the, 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 like taxi cab confessions, you know, erotica. Uh, maybe that's what they were going for and they thought it'd be cute, but it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for us today, folks. Uh, we hope this message finds you well. We hope you are having as wonderful a time as possible in these uncertain times of ours. Uh, and light spoiler. Uh, this time next year, hopefully, we will have the perfect Valentine's Day gift for you if your significant other is a very strange person. <laughs> but with that, uh, that's it for today. Uh, we can't wait to hear your reactions to this, especially regarding the institutionalized censorship in China and other countries, of course, and uh, the future of automated surveillance. What is your take? Are you for it or against it? Let us know. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us on the internet. We exist under a couple of handles. Uh, first and foremost, Conspiracy Stuff, where you can find our accounts on Facebook. We've got a Facebook group. Here's where it gets crazy. You can find us under that handle on YouTube and also Twitter. Conspiracy Stuff Show will point you in the direction of our Instagram. You don't want to do any of that stuff? Why, there's another way to get in touch with us. 
That's right, we have a phone number, 1-833-STDWYTK. Give us a call and give yourself a cool code name, whatever you want it to be. Use the same one if you, you know, call over time, it's fun. We're keeping a list now. We're checking it twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff they don't want you to know, phone number after dark. Ew. All right, so... Um, <laughs> one nine hundred. <laughs> yeah, S-T-D-W-Y-T-K. Um, okay, so do call in. You get three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. Please let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. That is very, very important. Um, rather than call multiple times back to back to back, if you've got a lot to say, we highly encourage you to instead send us one long email because we read every single one we're sent. Go ahead and send it to us. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.